We can meet the author, or we can talk about water, or both, on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make give the show? Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Uh, it's a great night to be alive, great, great night to be anywhere, and I'm glad to have you with us tonight. You know, uh, it's not like I recycle material here on purpose, and it's not like I've told this line before, but I have made this observation before. Uh, it seems to me that every author in the world now resides in Canada. Whether they are originally from Canada or not, um, it seems like every author in the world has either moved to Canada or is uh, a natural uh, Canadian citizen. Because uh, this is episode 402 of this program. I probably interviewed, I would say, over 200 well over 200 authors in that 402 episodes. I get my authors from a variety of sources, including publicists, casting call, radio sites, w different websites, author sites, author groups on social media. And out of those 200 or more, lots more, uh, authors that I've interviewed, I would say 99.9% .9 of them are from Canada for some reason. I guess uh, there's not a lot to do when it's uh, really heavy snow or something, so you're right. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Anyway, it's, it's something that is really baffling me. Uh, not that I'm complaining at all uh, in any way. It's just uh, very unusual. I, have, I think I've had one from uh, the U.K., one from Norway, maybe a handful from the United States, and the rest have been from Canada. And I think the ones... I actually know some of the ones from the United States uh, have dual citizenship or at least spend a lot of time in Canada. So there you go. Anyway, we're going to talk to another one tonight. Tonight is another uh, episode of Meet the Author, and she is Canadian. Yes, she is. Uh, so uh, we're going to be happy to talk to her. Uh, she writes uh, what a lot of people call science fiction, but it's really um, speculative fiction because a lot of it is future based based on the science uh, that we know now a lot of it is based on science uh, on our current understanding of science but set in the, in, the pre in the future so it's speculative fiction rather than science fiction because we can't say it's, it's necessarily um, wrong science at this point until we get there I guess I guess we're going to talk to her in just a minute. I'm going to bring her in. But you know the deal. First, before I bring her in, I need to quickly talk about a couple of sponsors. What's going on here with my computer today? Something really strange is happening. Anyway, tonight's show is brought to you by Audiobooks Now Club Pricing Plan. And Audiobooks Now, you might uh, guess, sells audiobooks. And you know about the convenience of audiobooks, but you also know that you can get audiobooks just about anywhere on the web right now. So why audiobooksnow.com? Well, audiobooks now is uh, simply price point, price point, price point. Audiobooks Now Club Pricing Plan is simply the best deal on audiobooks you'll find anywhere. It offers the savings and flexibility not found anywhere else. With their save on everything discounts, rollovers, exclusive offers, 
loyalty program, incredible selection, and cancel anytime policy. It simply cannot be beat. Plus, get a free premium audiobook on select titles right now when you click the link. You can also start a free 30-day uh, description of the club, club pricing plan. Absolutely free. It's normally $4.99 a month to be a member of the plan. Uh, try it for 30 days. Absolutely free. If you're not happy at any time, you just cancel and you won't be billed a penny. It's a great deal. Link is in the description. Audiobooks now club pricing plan. I do appreciate you patronizing our sponsors. Also, tonight is brought to you by Wealth, mybookie.com. Mybookie.com is one of the most popular and trusted brands in the online gambling community. Its sports offer, a sports book offers an incredible variety of sports from American staples such as football and basketball to international sports such as KBO, rugby, and cricket. It even offers wagers on entertainment and politics and simulated sports games such as uh, Madden 21 and NBA 2K21. If you're looking for a line on your favorite TV show, you can most certainly find it on mybookie.com mybookie's casino options are as plentiful as its sports books there are 27 different table games such as blackjack and roulette and almost 300 unique slot options 77 of which are 3d you can even play live table games of poker uh video poker you can get started by uh just going to mybookie.com and you're going to want to put in the promo code mind dog so it's mybookie.com promo code mind dog when you're signing up and when you use that promo code what they're going to do is match your deposit for your first deposit say you want to play with let, let's start with a nice uh, modest number of a hundred dollars you want to set, uh, establish your account to, to gamble with they'll instantly make it two hundred dollars that goes all the way up to a thousand dollars becoming two thousand dollars instantly great deal mybookie.com links are in the description and we do appreciate you patronizing the sponsor now speaking of patronizing if you're tired of hearing me uh, read the ads at the beginning of each program, uh, we have a Patreon page. And just for $1 a month at the basic membership level, $1 a month, uh, you can get all the audio episodes absolutely ad-free. It's a great deal. Patreon uh, and our link is in the description for that. Feel a little sinus condition coming on here, so I better get my guests in here before I start sneezing my face off. <laughs> All right, here goes, folks. I'm I'm going to go try the the uh, world's most uh, uh, tricky name to pronounce. Nina Mont Montane. <laughs> I practiced this. Montane Monti Montian Montian. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nina. Nina Montane knew. I'm going to try that. Is a Canadian ecologist and novelist of science fiction and fantasy. I knew I was going to screw it up when we went live. In addition to eight published novels, she has written several short stories, uh, articles, and nonfiction books, which have been translated uh, into several languages throughout the world. I'm just going to call her Nina. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome and Nina, <laughs> Nina, welcome. I practiced Hi, it. I, I tried. You did. You did admirably, I must say. <laughs> it was entertaining. Uh, I'm sure it was. People like to watch me screw oh, up like that. Dear. It, um, is. It's, it is a tricky name. I do appreciate you, you being here. Now, uh, tell me a little bit of, of your backstory before we get started talking about, you know, what uh, what it is you love to do and what drives you. So backstory meaning what? Where you uh, what, up and all that stuff? Yeah, about well, what brought you to? Because yeah, I, as I mentioned, you're an ecologist and a writer. So which came first? Where where did your passion come from? And did you always want to be a writer? Things like that. Yeah. Well, I you know it's funny because because those two have intersected 
to become me, right? I mean, I, I basically am both of those very much so, and, and they've each helped each other. So I don't know which came first. I guess, obviously, writing came first. I wanted to be a writer ever since I was a little kid. I wanted to write stories. I wanted to do comics. I was, uh, was going to be a graphic, graphic comic book a comic book writer and uh i was uh my parents dissuaded me they figured i couldn't make money that way <laughs> so they, they wanted to shut me into a you know a traditional education and then i found out in school i i got into storytelling i really wanted to do that so i figured okay i'm gonna write a book like the beatles talked about right the, the paperback writer i want to be a paperback writer, that sort of thing right <laughs> And uh, even there, my parents said, well, you know, writing isn't uh, that, you know, why don't you be a teacher? So, so <laughs> or a nurse or whatever. So it's really funny. And, and then, of course, I don't know if you did these things in high school. Um, you take these these weird tests that Aptitude tell you what, test, yeah. yeah, yeah, what what career you should take, right? right? So I take this test, you know, and it intersects your interests with your abilities right and it puts them together and out pops this this incredible whatever and um plumbing was at the top for me what oh was god plumbing to wow. be a plumber wow and then a sergeant in the army came up and i mean they don't have anything in common and <laughs> We won't go there, right? I mean, interestingly enough, plumbing has to do with water. So there is a there is a something oh. there, right? Aha. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> but writing was way down. And the reason for that was I was an incredibly poor speller, coming from an immigrant family, German mother, Romanian father. We lived in a French neighborhood, so I knew French, German, and Romanian before I ever learned English. So when I went to an English school, there was, there's a story behind that too, instead of a French school, um, I was terrible. And uh, I couldn't spell worth beans. And um, anyways, I wanted to be a writer. So I couldn't write. I wanted to be a writer though, and I couldn't write. So that's why I was scored way, way down. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, did you always create stories, though? Uh, because writing is a, a way of taking that idea, those stories that you have in your head, and, and transcribing them to paper. Uh, so even though you weren't a writer when you were in school, uh, did were you always a story crafter? Yeah, very astute, Matt, uh, because, in fact, I teach writing now at U of T, at University of Toronto in, in Toronto, Canada. And my first lesson to people is storytelling is much more important than writing. You can get, <laughs> you can get an editor, you can find ways to write better, but if you cannot tell a story, it, all the great writing isn't going to help. So right. yeah, um, I was telling stories when I was a little kid, and I I um, I got my older brother and sister involved. Um, I became the director of a. I would write plays. I would direct the plays. They would be in the plays. I would tell them where to go, and they did gladly. And we had performed in front of our parents, and uh, so for a while there, I actually wanted to be a director in a in a to direct movies as well. That was yeah. another sideline. But, yeah, uh, I, I love telling stories. So how do you get there, though? You, 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 because you have this um, uh, 
different passion for water, and I understand water is um, water is one of the four basic elements, and probably the more water and air are the two essential things that make us up, right? Uh, for sure. Or, or, who, who we are. Uh, I understand the interest there, but how do you get from having that passion and going to school to be an ecologist, which I, I, most people don't even know where to begin with that. I mean, when you take earth science courses, I, I don't know. But you get, <laughs> you're interested in that. But how do, how do you get to from there to actually become a writer? I know you, and, and I just want to, Briefly before I ask that question, uh, your, your parents encouraged a fallback position. Mine did too. I think sometimes encouraging a fallback position is the worst thing we can do for somebody's dream because <laughs> because if you have that well, fallback, chances are you're going to fall back. Right? You're going to you, fall back, and you, you know, <laughs> I did, I did. I mean, look at me right now. I'm a teacher. I That's teach. what I was thinking when I was yeah. asking you a question. I was putting that. <laughs> you reason, got onto that, yeah, yeah. I, yeah the reason you became an ecologist or a teacher uh, was because that was the fallback that your parents encouraged you to have. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, come to think of it though, uh, my dad, my dad was the main pusher of that. And my mom was the ecologist really, but he, he had it right. I mean, he, he's in his wisdom somewhere there. He saw the teacher in me because I love teaching to be honest. Right. And I love inspiring other writers, particularly to to see the light, to see that, you know, that that muse and to go boing with the ideas and and get moving on things. And um it's it's very fulfilling. But yeah, going from the fallback per se to the actual writing, that's a that's a journey in itself. It's the writer's journey. And not everybody makes it. A lot of people think to themselves, okay, when, you know, when I'm ready, I'm gonna write that great novel, right? The American novel, the the classic, the thing, or the bestseller. And they figure, okay, it's just a question of being ready. And when, you know, when you're retired or when you're in a good spot, it doesn't work that way. Writing is, is its own journey. Writing is a career. Writing is, and it, 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 as a result, requires a lot of work and right. investment of in, in many different ways. Not so much a formal education. Many writers, many of the best writers, don't have a formal education in creative writing. They don't have an, you know, an MFA, uh, Masters of Fine Arts in Writing or, or Creative Arts. Some do. Mostly the critics do, actually, not the writers. Yeah. But to write, the education is, is life. And so how do you do that? You just decide that you're going to do it. And I know that's kind of sounds goofy, but no, it, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't sound goofy at all because I've, as I mentioned, I've talked to over two, well over two hundred authors here. The one thing that is different is the age at, at which it, they start to really uh, just dedicate themselves to the craft of writing, or and how they get there. The path that brings them there can be yeah. different, but all, there, all of all of them share that, you know. It, that You're very right. Too. You're yeah. very right. Each each one is individual. Uh, the writing, just like the writing process itself, is individual to the individual. We're all unique on this planet, and we each have our own journey. And the, the author's journey, the writer's journey, is very much like the hero's journey in storytelling. There's that that, like you say, that that moment of commitment, right? And when when the writer makes that commitment to write to be a writer 
to be a serious writer and to to be published. That's that's a big step right there. And to say to themselves, I know I'm scared to death of success, but I'm going to go for it. And I say it that way because most writers somehow stop themselves from getting to that point out of fear. And really, it's it's a it's a question of, of going beyond that vulnerability, understanding that you are going to be very vulnerable as a as an author putting yourself out there, and and you are in fact all artists are all artists do that, but but it's a question of committing and realizing that on some level you just can't not do it. It's part of who and what you are. Right. Well, uh, that vulnerability, um, and I'm, I'm an old man now. I've been uh, uh, pushing myself in the creative arts for more than half a century. And uh, vulnerability is something that I've just recently kind of discovered is the key, no matter whether you're a podcaster, you're a songwriter, a book writer, a filmmaker, any, you have to be willing to put yourself in that place where you're exposing uh, yourself to that kind of criticism, but also your real in true self, authentic self. And sometimes yeah. I know I spent my, my whole life covering it up, not, not intentionally saying, I don't want people to know I'm protecting myself, but in, in a lot of my writing, especially now that I'm noticing it uh, in lyric writing, especially I just was not in a place where I felt safe to really express myself completely honestly i always was looking for a politically correct way or a way that would be accepted to write things so I, how do you, how does a new person because i would have been great for me to ask you this question 45 years ago by the way but how does a new a new writer uh get to that place where they can understand first understand that vulnerability is important it's really really and authenticity is really important but then enact that and, and apply it to their work. <laughs> you got any advice on that? Yeah. That, oh, that's a big question. And um, it begs a big <laughs> answer. And I can't, I don't know if I can properly answer that because uh, I, I teach a little bit of that in the course, but it's, that's a tough one because each person has their number one, because we each on our own pathway, we each have our own vulnerability, we, but we also each have our own reason for writing, for needing to write. And ultimately, it comes down to passion and connecting with the passion. And, you know, if, if there's something that, that you're afraid of, and we all have fears, um, recognizing that what's behind that fear and getting past that fear creates the best thrill and sense of victory that you've ever felt. And that is when you feel ultimately alive, really, really alive. And that you're actually doing something. And in this case, writing something with meaning. Because in fact, if you're not scared when you're writing, if you're not uh, on some level, some, some writers will say terrified, um, then you're not really going into that place that is ultimately where you need to go to create that, that piece that is gorgeous. And right. it's the difference between a good writer and a great writer, <laughs> uh, maybe even a mediocre writer and a good writer. It's steps, right, that you take. The key, like I go back to, is 
connecting with the reason that you write. And that's so important. Because if you don't have a good enough reason to write, then that fear will, will turn you off. You'll look for the excuses and you'll find them. Right. A lot of writers will write that story. They'll even complete it, but then they'll do something to jinx it. They won't get it to a publisher. They'll keep, they'll keep redrafting and redrafting and redrafting. They'll change things. They're not happy with it. Or they'll, they'll purposefully, well, purposefully, in, somewhere in their mind, psyche, go to the wrong place to get published. You know, those kind of things. It, either way, we do these things to ourselves because, like I said before, it's that fear of success of that vulnerability. So right. be getting in touch with your passion, pushing you forward, is that's the only thing that's going to push you past that fear so that you can then feel the victory. And, well, and that's almost like the, the, um, the key to finding happiness in life. And, and we talk about this a lot in, uh, you know, cause you, you said discovering your passion or finding your passion. I think, um, I got to try to articulate this in the best way I can without hurting people's feelings again. Now, now that's, that's probably a bad instinct for, for anybody. Uh, but a lot of people live unhappy lives because they settle and they never really even think about what will it really take to make me happy? What am I passionate about? What, what is my purpose in life? Why was, why the hell was I born? Uh, and so we get caught up in, create uh making a living rather than creating a life and and designing a life and then following you know that moment of discovery and saying who am i what was i what was i put here for and what is my ultimate purpose that's that's the key to happiness it's all it's the key to creativity yeah. too yeah and so you're many people right. struggle with that you're very right when in fact when you're creating uh, and i'm sure you felt this time and time again because you do all kinds of different things. When you're in that creative moment, it's it's like, oh my God, it's like that that uh, that painting of, of you know Adam touching God. Right. You're you're literally in a divine place. You're in a yeah. sacred place, and time is is suddenly infinite, and it you're floating right. You're you're in that whatever however people describe it. Um, my my son would describe it as the fine line when he's skiing down a slope right it, everybody right. has that that thing that they pursue that that puts them in that state of nirvana literally and it's not just endorphins but sure they help too um but it's it's achieving that place of uh infinite calm inside yourself where you're totally connected with self and you are in on some level connecting with god whatever however you see god but honestly i it is that that's what the muse is when you're beyond yourself and right. when you're beyond yourself and you're looking outwardly as a poet or inwardly further so so far in that you're looking out if you know what i'm saying i do i do um <laughs> then then you become more than yourself and you're you're in touch with the 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 whole consciousness of 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 all things and uh you're you're in touch with your soul which is sort of what i'm thinking is what what is the soul the soul right. of of humanity the soul of all life of planets and the universe and that's that's a special place to be 
It and, definitely um, is. Uh, <laughs> what 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 strikes me is uh, first of all when when you when you were talking about uh, being creative and, and feeling like you're in the presence of God, you described that as floating, and then well that that. Uh, because floating in water, right? What else would you yeah. be floating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're back to water, see? Yeah, well, and maybe it, you noticed I, I do use water more and so now than before. And someone else just pointed that out to me, that, that I use the terms, you know, I'll use those metaphors, water right. metaphors to describe a lot of things. Right. And, what do you, where do you feel that, um, and again, I understand it, and water is... Uh, it's right up there with the Godhead. I mean, it's not obviously it's not, but um, it, the basic elements and it, it, you know, the planet is seventy-seven percent of water. Where our bodies are, whatever, almost the same, same percentage same. of water. So uh, I understand the, the importance of it, but where does it come from in you that you kind of had this acknowledgement of how important water is and how how it became an important theme in your life? Yeah, for me, it was incremental, but it started when I was a child. In fact, I was afraid of water. Uh, I couldn't swim. And I had this vivid imagination, the uh, author, writer that I am, artist that I am, that, you know, about drowning and this and that. <laughs> My brother and sister, uh, older brother and sister, they just, you know, they'd be cavorting in the water and they'd be swimming and they were always arguing with each other. I'm the, the little one, right? I'm the youngest. Um, and I'd be sitting off to the side just watching water. And water is fascinating, as da Vinci did. Da Vinci studied water for hours and hours, and he drew water, uh, its patterns, its turbulences, its uh, motion. And his drawings are incredible, by the way. I did the same thing. I noticed you know, recursive uh, patterns, and I was fascinated. Basically, so what I did was... I learned how to swim for one thing. <laughs> yeah. Aside from that, um, I sort of turned my fear into a thrill and, and into a fascination. And that's what I was getting at earlier about, you know, taking a fear and, and moving it into an excitement to, to be a process as opposed to letting it stop you from doing something. Right. So um, not only did I do that, but obviously that fascination led to more fascination, which ultimately led to a career. I became a limnologist, an ecologist, aquatic ecologist, and a limnologist is someone who studies all aspects of fresh water, chemistry, wow. bi biology, physics, and the, the watershed around it, everything that Im impacts water's behavior and its composition. Well, so, it, it is an enigma. Uh, that that the ratios of you know as I mentioned the the planet be and what planet is mostly salt water obviously uh, but the the planet is made up of roughly the same ratio of water as our bodies and yeah. so there is some spiritual physiolog phys uh, physiological or uh, ph philosophical connection here with the whole idea of it and somewhere it kind of it. it goes from scientific into the study uh, more theological almost in some in some aspects yes it certainly does i mean water has played a, a, an important role in virtually every religion every spiritual pursuit right. uh, on the planet through time you know it's 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 connected to baptism and uh sacred uh, any sacred event 
and considered itself to to consist of to have spirits. There's the water sprites, um, all kinds of. Uh, there's the Kumbh Mela of the uh, in India, right? They they have the Ooh. the sacred ceremony, uh, the water ceremony. So they consider water a sacred entity. In fact, uh, the the Ganges is is the the river Ganga, right? right. It's, it's the the Ganga god. Uh, there's bazillion gods in in Indian gods anyway, but a lot of them are water gods and. So, so water is recognized as a force, a force, a living force. And you can take that way out as well as way in. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned the, the fractal relationship between humans, all life that has mostly water. And, it, and our water is kind of salt water, right? It's, it's not right. just pure yeah. water. <laughs> and same thing with the planet itself. It's and so many other things that go on on the planet are fractal. You can see patterns that re, that are recursive in ever larger uh, proportions. Uh, clouds, trees, you know, the the shoreline of a of a coastline. How things form, and then you can see them in in macro scale and micro scale as you look down, and atoms and, and electrons spinning are very much like the universe itself, right? With large spaces. So there's this, all these connections from large to small in terms of scale, but also in terms of many other ways that relate to things. It it's, it's, uh, makes sense that water plays a role. Water, of course, is, is associated with creation. Water came first, right? Right. And, um, so where we go from there, it, it, it kind of makes sense that it does because water has so many amazing properties. It has over 70 anomalous properties. And what I mean by anomalous is that they're not like anything else. And so water, of course, as you know, has at least three states. It has more than three states, to be honest. But the three states that most people know about, solid, yeah, li liquid, and, and gas, right, and vapor, Right, you get, there, you, I can't. I can't let you stop there though, because you said that there there are more than three states, and most people don't know about. It. I <laughs> want. I want to know. You can't keep stuff secret from me. So, what are the other states before you continue? <laughs> okay. Well, one example. There's a bazillion states of solid. By the way, there's at least. Uh, oh yeah, 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 or at least right. thirteen versions of solid, right? I so those you. are different states. Right. But there's a state between the solid and the liquid, and it's called a liquid crystal. Oh, and okay. It's a very strange state because it's almost like jello, and uh, there's a lot of controversy about that. I, I don't know if you've heard about poly water. Yeah, I have. That whole polywater debacle it's, by it's, the you know, Russian scientists came up it, with that. It's way yeah. over my head because it confuses me. It, but... <laughs> it's bizarre stuff. But this is very similar to that. Interstitial water, water that's in the state between solid and liquid, takes on a crystal quality. So in other words, it's more organized than what's called bulk liquid water but less organized than crystal, which is solid, right? So it's between those two. So it's able to rearrange itself more easily. And as a result, it has many other properties and they're uh, life-giving properties. We are 
we are just learning about water. Right. We are, uh, there's so much we still have to learn. Limnologists, hy hydrologists, water scientists of all kinds are still learning. So those three states were the, the dictum for the longest time, simply because that's what the instruments could tell, right? right? But as our instruments get better, as we get better, then we find out more. And hence all these different states. So as I was saying, so water water is anomalous in, I'm just going to stay with the three states, <laughs> okay. uh, but it's anomalous <laughs> in terms of being many more as well. But so let's take water as a liquid as an example. So as a liquid, water behaves differently than any other liquid out there, right? Like liquid mercury or anything like that, like that in terms of its... Uh, properties, but also in terms of changing from one form to another. You can see there's lots of possibilities for scientific things to get in there to explain what's going on. So water as a solid is very different from other solids. And one of the weird anomalous properties is that as a solid, it's lighter than as a liquid. And because of this, we get ice forming on top of lakes and therefore enabling the uh, life in the lake to continue wow. as opposed to a lake freezing solid. There's, a, right. there's more to do with that. Like that yeah. stuff. But it, it is built, built on that one property that, that it's, it's anomalous in terms of water. There's a bazillion other ones. In uh, there's another one. Um, partial pressure. And uh, tensile, uh, there's a word for it. I can't think of it right now. But water essentially forms uh, a skin. So between water and air, and then water and water, there's a difference. There's a layer. And I'm sure you've seen uh, little insects, water insects. Yeah, yeah. The, running on the water. The skin, yeah, the top layer of water yeah. does definitely feel skin like sometimes <laughs> yeah well when temperature gets that way too but they're using that property of water to uh to be able to run along it water has uh, uh unique cohesion and adhesion properties in other words it likes to stick to itself which make which is why water forms a, a circle right a ball when it's falling and when it's down on the ground it's a it's a bubble as opposed to flat like alcohol and a cohesion, it likes to stick to other things, which allows it to move up, to literally go up the root, uh, the roots of, of trees and go way up the trunk of a tree. Okay, it's pulled as well, but uh, so pressure, uh, I'm, I'm mixing all my sciences here a little bit. I'm, I'm yeah, it's, it's generalizing all a bit. It's but all the point, magic. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, it is based on science. Oh, so water likes to stick to things, and uh, that allows it to to be slippery and move along. So all these things are life giving. Over seventy anomalous properties throughout water's behavior and and consistency and structure, and you know, water's only a H two O, right? Two hydrogen and one oxygen, and yet. Water is capable. It's clear. It runs. It it makes gorgeous sounds. It is um, hypnotic almost. Water makes us feel good. 
it truly does. It knocks out it knocks out uh, positive ions and creates negative ions, uh, which is actually good for us. Positive ions are associated with dust and pollen, so water actually helps clear the air, clear things for us. There's so many other reasons why water is wonderful, and we feel so good. Why do we love being by the ocean, listening to the ocean surf? There's uh, infrasound associated with with the surging of the water, the trickling of the water. There's there's uh, sounds, right? Frequencies. There's so much more, as you mentioned before, than strict traditional science. And science touches on these things, but literally just touches them. It, science isn't there yet to encompass all the... I don't know what to call it. Uh, godlike things that that water has and is able to do, and right. and ref- and is reflected in in us. And don't forget, water's in us too. So we drink it, we shower in it, we uh, breathe it in. You're breathing water in right now, water vapor. We always forget about the vaporous part of water. And that represents a huge amount of, of the fresh water that's on the earth wow. is in vapor vapor form. And you're breathing that in. So where's that come from? And it comes from, you know, the largest water body next to you. So are we talking about the Hudson River or the or the Atlantic Ocean for you? For me, uh, it's at uh, yeah, it's the Atlantic Ocean and the Long Island Sound is probably about four hundred yeah. feet down for me right now. So on on some fundamental way, that's your water. That's what's in you. What's a, that's what's right inside you. Whether you wow. drink that water or not, if you're drinking bottled water, never mind. You're breathing that in. You're breathing. That's your water. So that's why, you know, understanding where you live, your watershed, that's that's your water too. And there's so much more associated to with even just that aspect. You know, we think of place. And in story, we think of place. Very importantly, um, I do a lot of, of uh, talk about setting in my course. And I have a book, uh, several books out on, on how to write. And one of them is devoted to sense of place. But what's one of the things that's at the root of that is what is that place made of? What's your environment? We always forget about that. Uh, you know, we're so busy in the city. I mean, you're living in a, I am too, to some degree, in a concrete jungle, right? right? And yet, and yet, you're surrounded. New York City's surrounded by this gorgeous watershed. I forget the the huge park that that uh, natural park there where you're drawing your water from. Um, I don't know natural park that we're drawing our water from. Oh, there's a huge area. I can't uh, think of it. Well, um, I uh, well, I know where. The, the the water that comes in from from the sound and also from the south on uh, the Atlantic Ocean and and that the bay down there, but I'm not sure what national uh, natural park you're talking about. Yeah, uh, well, I don't uh, know what mountains are nearby. I've, oh, up in the ca- yeah, up in the Catskills. <laughs> the Catskills, yeah. yes, huge yes. area, gorgeous area of fresh water that's coming in and. Um, I lost my train of thought, but the point is that, that that's, that's on some level, that's who you are. Right. Um, 
it's not so much the concrete jungle that's there. Surely there's the, the culture, there's the people, but it's also the environment. And we do tend to forget about that part. We forget about the natural aspect of what's around us, but it's very much part of who and what we are. Well, there's and an easy way to remember. Role. There's an easy way to remember, and I experienced it when I was very young. Uh, because I spe- I grew up here on Long Island, where I was on the South Shore, lots of Atlantic Ocean right in front of my face. Uh, and but when I, and then I, in my high school years, I went to Florida, where it's still plenty surrounded by water. But then during college, I moved out to the desert, and I was in New Mexico, where it never rains. I mean, it gets less than an inch of rainwater a year, and I was literally in a desert. And your personality changes, your life changes, everything about life is different in the yeah. desert. So that that's a, that's a quick reminder. Before yeah. before we go any further, I want to bring. I just want to bring up the the uh, cover of your latest book, which is a diary in the age of water, and uh, kind of just mention that that's available. I also have the, all eight books are available from her website, and I'm I'm going to try this one more time. It, you don't need the www, but you could put the www if you like to type www's a lot. Uh, but it's Nina Montenenu. Ah, that's ca. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> So, so you can get the book there. Now, as I mentioned in, in introducing you, uh, and I'm not sure if all the books are, but it seems to me like uh, most of most of your fiction work is kind of future-based, yes? Yes. Yeah. Pretty much all my fiction, even my fantasy, is partly set in the future. So that's why it's speculative fiction rather than science fiction, right? Because we it could actually be true. We just don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, exactly. It's um, the difference, I guess, one of the main differences of speculative fiction and science fiction, this was what Margaret Atwood was constantly saying, um, is that speculative fiction tends to to speculate and involves Earth. Science fiction is a broader spectrum, involves much more. And often, you know, that's why a lot of people think of science fiction, they think of spaceships and and blogs right, and yeah. things and time travel and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> well, is, is, am, am I incorrect in thinking there is some alien? Uh, because I forget where I, I, I somebody asked you somewhere uh, something I saw uh, maybe a week ago or somebody was interviewing you and asked you something about aliens or something. Is there not any of that <laughs> in, in your work? <laughs> yeah, there is. There's a lot of aliens in my work. Okay. And in fact, you you could even say on some level, even in this work, and I'm not going to say more Okay. Um, <laughs> because it's an interpretive thing. Um, one could interpret one of the characters here as an alien, and wow. it, isn't, it isn't the character you might think. Well, I love that because uh, one of the things we struggle with here, or I struggle with it in, in interviewing authors, is uh, trying to promote their books and tease their work so people become interested and go out and check it out. Or in, in the fine line between giving away too much information that it no, you, it's no longer necessary to go out and get the book. We just told <laughs> you the entire story. So I, I appreciate the way that you just uh, tease that a little bit and without giving away too much of it. Uh, so, but on that note, since everything is, is based in, in the future, you have to be an optimist to believe that the future is actually going to be here, right? Or I would imagine you are somewhat of an optimist for 
especially <laughs> at ecology and and all that kind of stuff, being able to support us for several hundred more years. <laughs> you you know, Matt, it's it's so easy to be disillusioned, though. It's so easy to get cynical, to be honest. Yeah, I know. Uh, in in in. <laughs> In in the area that I pursue, for instance, you know, I'm running up. I ran up against climate change years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. I was talking climate change back in you know the 1900s. There, well, were you calling it? Old, were you calling it climate change, or were you saying we were headed for another ice age? Because that's what I remember in when I was in high school in the 70s. Dating myself a little bit here, yeah. And uh, they were calling it. We were. They were saying we were heading for another uh, ice age. Then they could started calling it global warming. And then somebody finally woke up and said, "That's not the way to kind of uh, describe this for most yeah. people because yeah. it's changing. It, it could be getting warmer where you live. It could be getting colder where you live. But everybody's experiencing something different. But there's yeah. no doubt that yeah. something is happening. Yeah." And it is, it, it actually uh, accurately is global warming. And that's what it is. It's just that people, like you say, are getting mixed up because they're going, wait, it's getting right. colder where I am and it's stormy and all this. And it's, right. no you, you can't warming. tell the people in Texas tonight that it's global oh, warming. Oh, that's right. And what's his name? <laughs> who you came came to, was it Congress or the Senate with a snowball uh, and, and did his little spiel there? You know, see, 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 it snowed uh, here. It can't I, be cl- can't be global warming, but <laughs> global warming is about the globe and it and and climate change. The reason they use climate change is just to make it easier. But in truth, that is what's happening. The globe is warming, but the result of warming is complex. I mean, climate itself is highly complex and it's felt on a regional level. And that's going to be isolated and different depending on a whole bunch of other things. To understand climate to the point of being able to understand weather as a result of climate, literally, chaos theory had to be invented. So think about that for a minute. Chaos theory. (laughs) Chaos theory, right? And 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 it's it's a humongous way uh, to to uh, very complex. It's complexity theory that allows for the understanding of something that is so, so complex as climate, because there are so many things involved. Right. Uh, geography, water is, is, I mean, climate change is mostly a water phenomenon and water itself, to go back to water, is a complex entity in that it goes from state to state. And why does it go from state to state and where does it go? in that state you know the even understanding the the ocean the great uh ocean current that that runs like literally a conveyor a conveyor belt all around the planet is highly complex the way the densities density of the water affects the way the water moves and where it goes and all that kind of stuff and then that in turn how it evaporates and where it evaporates and then the atmospheric rivers, there's such a thing as atmospheric rivers, aren't they cool? That form in in the the atmosphere and move around literally like rivers above us that we don't see. Right. It, it is is complicated by the motions of the planet, the the topography, all these kinds of things. And you can't be expected if you unless you study it and understand 
complexity theory and chaos theory, that you're going to know what's going on. And so it's it's almost hubristic for people to to think, oh well, you know, this this simple thing is proving that there's no global warming, and in fact, it's it's much more complex than that. I agree, but he, here's the thing, and uh, I'm going to get back to my question that you kind of sideswept around uh, that you're an oh, optimist. You're did an I? Op- yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, well, I yeah, did. But, but, but hold on, there. I think uh, what most the problem is most people confuse weather with climate, and and. Yes. and and there's a other there's this emotional thing that I don't want I don't want it to be true I don't want because sure. whether I it's because of my business reasons my personal reasons my fear of what it might mean that how it might affect my life and the other part of it is people don't understand if we had, uh, the the climate change deniers don't understand that uh, it, you know if we acknowledge it. Uh, and that means we have to do something about it. And if we feel helpless about it, that means we are helpless. Sure. And, and so it, then I'm, I'm like living in fear. So yeah. are, are you yeah. an optimist that we can, that mankind who had a, whether you believe it or not, had some kind of role, some role to some degree in screwing things up to the, as bad as they are, can we do anything uh, that will reverse that? significantly and so that you are an optimist you can write about 300 years from now or 400 years from now and believe that uh, that's a reality that we're going to get there <laughs> yep yep and, and you're right i did kiwash that and 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 that's because i'm a reserved optimist okay you know yeah uh, probably maybe 10 20 years ago i would have said unreservedly uh, I'm a, I'm an optimist, and now I'm I'm a reserved optimist. And part of that is maybe I'm older. Maybe yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> cynicism's kind of you know at the door, and I keep I keep having to find ways to get past it. And I do find ways. My son is one of them. He is an optimist. Uh, he's like I was when I was younger totally optimistic, totally believing in the human spirit that, that we will prevail, that there, there are so many good people out there, too many good people to, for the rest of <laughs> whatever to mess things up. And I find myself, when I look at the beauty that we create, and we create so much beauty, we really do. Uh, never mind that there is beauty all around us. There is so much beauty around us. But what we do is we take that beauty and then we create other things that are beautiful. Music, art, literature, um, all these things, even crafting, crafting things. Uh, what, 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 um, what are those people called? Carpenters make. Uh, clock makers, people who create things, build things, are are there are so many of us that are doing so many great works, beautiful things. These these are are, are things that we get from the divine. These are divine, divinely provided. And beauty is divine. Beauty is sacred, and we do create beauty. So as long as we are doing that, and there. So many of us that are capable of doing it and are doing it right. for e- for each other, and and there are so many acts of kindness. Sure, sure, there's lots of nasty things going on in the world, but for 
it seems to me that for all the nasties, there's so much kindness as well. Yes, the media is not reporting on the kindness enough. That's my feeling. Yeah. To be honest, no. it's, it's a media thing. They are focusing on, to be honest, the crap out there. Of course. And, and that sells news and everything else. But right. in your everyday <laughs> life, if you focus on your everyday life, then you will see those acts of kindness. And I see them daily. I look for them, to be honest. And, and I find them. And the, that, that buoys me back up, gets me to where I was before in my nature, and I push myself forward. And to be honest, in writing this particular book, uh, A Diary in the Age of Water, it's, it's the story of four generations of, of women. And uh, the main person is the diarist. And she's, she's, she's the mother of a child, and she herself is a child uh, or is the daughter of a, a mother. And, and then there's a fourth generation as well. So most of it is her diary. So she's, she's a limnologist herself. She studies water. And she works for a giant company, uh, an international utility, Canada Corp, which is basically, you know, it's, it, it's a utility for water and other things and is all powerful. And she is essentially a cynical character. So um, in some ways, I guess in many ways. And in doing, in writing that part of the book and doing the research for that, I became, I got into a funk. I, I was looking at all kinds of stuff. I knew all, most of this stuff that, you know, as a limnologist, but in researching more deeply into things. And um, I, yeah, it, it put me into a spiral. Wow. And I had to find my way out of there. And in fact, to be honest, that's what every good story does. Every good story takes your character into a place. And then they have to come out, right? And the reader goes there willingly with them because right. they are they are compelled to. And I've been told with this book that that's exactly what's happened with people. You know, they 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 both. In fact, I've I've had some very interesting reactions. They they both love it and hate it. They're they're fearful or they're scared and they're comforted at the same time very paradoxical kind of reactions but that's because of what this character had to do and that's what i had to do uh. funnily enough and uh i found my way out and and so of course the book did and i did and the world did if you will um, perhaps not in the way that people might think not like in a romance for instance you know happily ever after type thing yeah. but definitely there there is a journey that the, that i was able to in envision that made sense right. and and yeah the optimism came through uh well we're, we're almost at the hour can is it okay if we go over the hour a little bit with you because uh, uh sure you know, yep i'm good I, thank you for that because um i what you just said there is a total a lot for me to respond to in there. Uh, first of all, I, I hate romance novels, and I tell every romance novel <laughs> that I have on the program and make them aware of that up front that uh, it's just not my genre. I appreciate it, and I, I all the work they do, and I will help 
push it to people who are fans of it, but I just think uh, it's just not for me. I'm just it's not a, a man. Yep. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, at the beginning of that response, you said something that uh, really kind of interested me. Uh, you talked about creation and divinity and um, and and creators, creative people, and uh, the way. Uh, honestly, when I argue with atheists, uh, and I do argue with atheists sometimes, and not not an angry argument. I should just say have a conversation with atheists about what I believe. I always say I'm don't I'm not smart enough to know the nature of God or what it, what it means but I, the reason I believe there is something big much bigger and a creator and intelligent creation beyond it is this whole idea and it comes from the Bible that God created us in his own image and whether you believe the Bible is the literal word or not just that it, let's just take it for argument's sake as a metaphor we create every single human being is creative on some level and i I think it was da vinci since you brought him up before who said that um every art every artwork an artist creates is a self-portrait and so you're talking about that book do you write the book or does the is the book writing you somehow through (laughs) and, and, and addressing your inner need to find some answers so the book is really your self-portrait directing itself and you're just the tool you that the universe is using to create that does that make sense wow you no i I, totally totally (laughs) you've touched you've touched on something that uh, i've discussed uh, often with other writers and creators and you know which came it's sort of like which came first the chicken or the egg right because they're so part of each other and part of this cycle whether you think of the cycle as a physical cycle or or uh, something else, but part and parcel, you know, like the um, yin yang business, right? right. One without the other, they don't exist. So yeah. um, it, it's <laughs> I, I it's got to be both, you know. When when I write, and again, it, the writing process can sometimes make that more. Uh, visible to people. Some writers aren't even aware of their writing process. Others have been doing it for so long and maybe even changed their process so they're very much aware. In fact, I'm one of them. I didn't used to write books the way I write them now, which is really another whole other topic. I wrote my books very differently before. And and I've noticed that the books are quite different now. And part of that is I have given more liberty to my characters. I have given more liberty to the book itself, the story itself, the theme, given the, the, the theme itself can be a character that has some form of agency and let it, let it be. And I think part of the reason I'm able to write like that now is because I'm more seasoned, I'm older, I understand the, the craft better, and so I'm able to do what we were talking about earlier, and go out with confidence that I don't have to know everything. Wow. And that, so then that will come back to me and then we'll have this discussion. And writing often is that way anyway. On other levels, uh, writing is, is often a discussion between you and something else, whether it's you and yourself or it's you and your computer or it's you and research or, or something 
else going on, right? But there's always this push-pull going on at, in a relationship that creates the story. Right. The great creative uh, advice for anybody who's a creative in any way, you know, I'm talking about the creative arts as opposed to uh, creating a business or creating houses and all, all those people are creative. But when I say creative, usually I'm talking about people in the arts, but uh, I guess that can be applied to anything. Now, it, I think you, so. Yeah. You, you was talking about how you evolved to this point where you trust the process enough to kind of not be yeah. not push it not <laughs> yes push it. that's uh, that's huge <laughs> it, uh, but you had to learn that over a period of time now what what i'm curious about because i know this to be true in some in some of the other art forms like in music there are people who come out of the womb musicians they just yeah. seem gifted in a way to really understand letting the process just trust the process and all that stuff uh you had to learn i've had to learn that and i'm still learning it i'm i don't think yeah. i'm to the point where you are are there naturally born writers who who get that right well, in, in authorship no there must be there must be mozart writers out there right yeah yeah <laughs> I, I mean I, that's you were describing mozart basically mozart uh, was born that way right. i know he was a po child protege but he was a child protege because he was that Right. His, his father recognized a genius in him and yeah. there are there are genius writers there are writers who will write something that's incredible right from the get-go because they are uh either uh, synesthetic they're they're meta they're they're metaphoric right uh like ray bradbury i mean everything that ray bradbury wrote is so simple his writing is actually so simple and yet so metaphoric so deep so that's almost like par a paradox right there because right. there's a simplicity, a simple sentence, a just a three word of three word sentence that says everything. If you know what I'm saying? Yes. It's, it's being being poetic and having incredible depth. Uh, Hemingway was like that. He was. I mean, he wrote so simply. A twelve year old could could easily read his writing, and yet so deep, so meaningful uh seem overly simple almost to, right. for, for some people would think oh that's just you know this is meaningless stuff but on the same token again it depends on where you are when you're right. reading something right if you're able right. to take it in um well that's my argument against buddy rich uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh buddy, really but yeah buddy rich uh great jazz drummer from the uh 20th century yeah. uh he hated country music and i would oh. and my and he was very vocal about his hatred for country music because it was so simplistic and i my argument with him is sometimes the deepest things are in the simplest things and you have to trust the listener the consumer to find it rather than you know, in jazz in in the kind of jazz that he played sometimes they tried to contrive the uh, the depth and almost like a uh, a poet who muddies his waters intentionally to make them appear deep yeah. if you know what i mean uh, basically yes. i'm just i'm just yes. going to fake this deepness and 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 cover things so uh, so much mystery that nobody can figure it out and everybody will think i'm deep when i'm just trying to just trying yeah. to overcomplicate things and so sometimes simplicity and the real truths that matter to us that can move our spirit are in the simplest things like like water flowing 
like water flowing you've got it yeah yeah beautiful yeah so that's my my approach to that now you kind of touched on process there and process is another thing which is very different from from uh, for each individual writer, and I'm, I'm finding this out. Uh, a lot of people, you know, many of them start with a complete outline and post-it notes and character, uh, little flaw, uh, characteristics and stuff that, that apply. And other people, and I've talked to some people, which really shocks me, start with a blank page and no idea what they're going to write and let the, let the page dictate to them. Um, do, can you teach that stuff, or does that have to evolve in the spirit of the writer yeah i know i have something to say uh can can i do it without learning process or or any of that stuff yeah and this is again why writing is is unique in the arts uh you you know you can take creative arts we talked about that you can take writing courses but in in terms of the writing process there is no real course and it's because it's it's about the individual and it comes back to that writer's individual journey, who they are, what, why they're actually writing. And they could be writing a lot of different things, and it's going to change throughout their career. You know, every, every great writer has changed certain, you know, taken certain turns in certain ways, right? right. Shifted their genres even, or et cetera, et cetera. So recognizing that the process is is necessarily something you can teach, but you can teach about process. You can make the writer aware that they actually have a process so that they can then, because beginning writers don't really understand that often the case. Uh, understanding that there is a process that they can work with that is that is theirs, number one, not something that they learn over there in, in some, you know, 20 step kit that they open up and they go, Oh yeah. Step one. (laughs) It's nothing like that. It's essentially getting to know yourself, getting to know your, your way. And right from the mundane of where, where do you like to write? When do you like to write? How do you like to write those kind of things to, to make yourself comfortable so that you do write, you know, those types of, practical things to what is how do you write your stories why do you write your stories are they thematic are they more plot driven are they character driven and why so and does that fit the kind of story that you're telling so it's more consideration so those are the kind of things that i teach in my course courses to consider things as opposed to here's a pattern you need to follow and right. as uh, I, I tend not to talk so much about my own process, and I have had students uh, complain that, that I don't, but I do it on purpose because I don't want to make that into a template. Wait, you're um, not me? You're not me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> find, find your own process. Right. <laughs> but, but I tell them what they need to look for. I tell them why there's a process and what that means for them and, and to see how they can fit that process into the kind of story that they want to tell. That's, um, that's important. And knowing also that it's going to change. I mean, I do talk about that. I've changed the way I write. I change what I write. And the two are, you know, th- there's, there's no surprise. They are linked to each other. Right. So, um, yeah, that changes. 
Um, this may seem like a, a an impossible uh, question to answer, but what is the greatest reward for you? In other words, uh, you know, and I know a lot of authors say they um they don't do it for money but then they become impatient waiting for the that moment where i don't have to work a day job and all i can do is write and so that reward becomes money for some people even though they are yeah almost, almost compelled to deny it. yeah but yeah. So, but there is a bigger reward for a lot for some authors and 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 that is it just knowing just completing the work the 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 going through the journey of doing it isn't a reward for you where where do you feel the most reward comes back to you personally from what you do well you're right the writing of it is the biggest reward to be honest when i'm writing like we were talking about being in the moment Right. But the next best reward is there are two of them, <laughs> uh, and and they're different on different levels. One is is you know seeing this gorgeous thing be born, right? What it looks like with all the covers and everything. I mean, yeah, hold it like, up wide because we the the flat picture. I don't uh, doesn't show how deep yeah, the book is. Let yeah, yeah, there it, it is like oh, that. Yeah, okay, <laughs> it's a pretty big book. Yeah. In, in Anna Publications in Toronto put out put this book out. They're a gorgeous publisher. Um, and, and, and just seeing that and, and smelling it, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. smelling that book and seeing I, it and holding it. I can it relate to is, that. Definitely. It's, it, it really is like giving birth without the whole birthing pains. There's, I mean, you could, you could say it, uh, there are those birthing pains metaphorically, right. In, in putting it together, but the other big satisfaction, the, the joy is is seeing what happens to with readers so getting feedback from readers seeing and the, what i want to do the most is is i guess to move people to mm. and each book has its own thing i mean with this book i'm hoping to move people toward uh, being aware more aware of water and the water issues and and story of course there's a story there and story of forgiveness really wow. in the story so moving people knowing that that i've told a good story that's that's does it for me that right. does it for me every time right yeah. ha have you ever had the opportunity to because the one of the greatest experiences for me and i never i i got dragged to it uh against my will thinking boy this is going to be boring it was watching spalding gray read one of his books in a theater <laughs> and uh, it was just a, a tremendously moving it was like the best broadway experience i ever had in my life and i i totally fought it didn't want to go have you ever had that kind of experience where you do a uh, a theater reading of of one of your works actually i did uh, uh, i did that recently and uh <laughs> it was right. it was incredible. Um, I, I do enjoy reading. Um, I have to be in the right place to do it to do it well. Right. Um, but I do. I've been you know I've been reading books to my son you know ever since he was a little kid, and I, I do love doing that. But but to be to be able to do that and to be part of that is also very very rewarding. Oh to yeah, have I people, imagine people respond to it with, you know, either crying or whatever, you know, their responses are. It's, you know, it's genuine and you know that, like I said, you've, you've moved them, you've right. touched, touched them. 
I mean, that to me, that's what really good storytelling does. Good, meaningful storytelling will 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 make for me will make me cry. Right. Uh, a really good book is going to make me cry. Right. Uh, and I, I don't mind saying that. It's 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 no. True. Uh- I agree. I totally agree. And it, it reminds me of the story about how uh, Walt Disney, when uh, Snow White was premiering, uh, Snow White was the first uh, real feature film that was completely animated. And people were kind of like, what is this? This is never going to fall. And he stood in the uh. back of the theater and waited for that moment where uh, they, people are going to cry. And people did cry over a cartoon, and that was the the, the moment yeah. where he knew they they were were suspended their their belief system long enough to really buy into the story enough to uh, let it affect them emotionally, and that's that's yeah. where the magic happened. So I definitely it. Yeah. that is, uh, and that was magical. That was a gorgeous piece of work. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, wow. So so uh, this has been a very. Um, inspiring and fascinating conversation i i never realized how much i am interested in this whole water godhead connection and <laughs> I, I i don't say that lightly i do th- i really think there is something there's something to that where because if you look at all our science uh scientists they're saying um water is the key to life anywhere where whenever we look for life on other planets we're yeah. looking for water first exactly Exactly. Uh, so there is some. That's ma- that's the reason. Yeah, it's I'm it's. Gonna, totally I'm gonna have to explore to this a lot deeper. I'm gonna have to look into it. I'm definitely gonna uh, start reading your books now. Finally, I think we do have to kind of uh, wrap it up. I just want to. Are you more passionate about nonfiction and fiction, or uh, is it you know the other way around that you have fictional stories that you're uh, crafting or they're crafting you? Uh, ah. Do. Uh, are you more passionate about them than the nonfiction? Way, you know. Wh- oh, that's does- a great question. Uh, oh God, that's a hard to answer too. Because when I'm writing it, I'm that's what I'm passionate about. So when I'm writing my nonfiction, when I the the book previous to to this one to the novel is called Water Is, which was which is essentially a biography of water. <laughs> uh, and and when I was writing that, I took me two years to write it and. I just that that's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> so I I actually usually go back and forth. I write fiction one year, nonfiction another, and I go back and forth. I love them both, uh, just like I love the long form and the short form as well. I write short stories all the time. Each of them gives me something different, and I, and I understand what that is the the difference, and I appreciate it. And for me, it's just the variety is wonderful. Well, one one last time for the for the people at home. I'm going to show the book cover. Uh, it's called A Diary in the Age of Water. It's by Nina Montenegro. Hey, I'm pretty good at that now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's available on her website, which is going across the bottom. It's simply her her name dot ca not dot com dot ca uh, for people. And I do hope you'll check it out. And uh, the, all her books are listed there. She has a, a link on the top that says bookstore, and you just go there, and you'll you'll see all all the books that are uh, by Nina. And are you working on anything? Are you working on anything now that that, that will be? I am. I am. And guess what? It's about water. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to be doing that for a while. It's. Good. Uh, I'm very <laughs> excited about it. It takes place again in the same sort of universe as this this previous one, the diary. 
uh, in, throughout Canada, but it also takes place up north in the Arctic, uh, in Nova Scotia, on both coasts in BC, and in the middle and all over the place. So it's it's a bit of a thriller. It's got all kinds of things happening to it. So it's going to be high paced. But again, uh, water plays a major role in it. And any clue on uh, when it will be out or when it be done, published? I'm still working with uh, the indigenous people up north uh, with them to make sure that it's it's perfect. So that's going to take a while with COVID now, and I right, can't right, get yeah. up there right now. Um, so I'm not even close to being finished. But once that happens, maybe in, maybe in a couple of years, it oh, will be out. That's yeah. a I was going to yeah, say, afraid I, was, so. I, I was thinking maybe a year or so. Anyway, I do want to extend an invitation for you to come back anytime. I was going to say when when that's out, but that's too far away. So please, uh, you know, check in with us from time to time because I will. Fas- it's a fascinating conversation. I think uh, more people need to kind of think about these kind of, these things. I think it's really important, especially if you're going to, uh, we're going to maintain your a little bit of optimism that you have left. Uh, we need to get more people on board. <laughs> I agree, Matt. I, I'd love to come back as often as you like to have me. Oh, well, we definitely want to continue this. So, so please come back and please, uh, we wish you great success and thank you so much for all your thank insights. You. They gave me a lot to think about. Oh, super. It was uh, a hey, pleasure. A uh, pleasure. Bye bye for now and stay well, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on minddogtv.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by VaporDNA. Founded in 2013, VaporDNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on minddogtv.com and use the code ORIONQ. 
Bina Montenenu, folks, uh, and the book is called uh, A Diary in the Age of Water, and the one before that is a nonfiction one called Water Is. They're all on her website. Uh, check them out. I hope you uh, I hope you got as much as I did out of this program. I learned a lot. I've got a lot to think about. Uh, made my, you know, it, maybe I had lesser ex- expectations of how how. Uh, passionate or in, interested I would be in this subject, but it definitely has me um, looking for to to do further research on my own and investigate. Uh, you know, she made an, a water advocate out of me. Go, go figure that. Uh, anyway, it's uh, really interesting, uh, and I hope you agree. And I hope you will go to her website and check out her books and and, and uh, support her work as an author. And I hope you come back and tell your friends about it. Subscribe and go to my YouTube channel. Subscribe there and go to MindDogTV.com and get on my mailing list. Questions and comments for me, always info at MindDogTV.com, info at MindDogTV.com. Tomorrow at 1 p.m., I have Raphael Harrison, who is a uh, entrepreneur and somebody who is uh, very active in building companies and uh, putting back into the black community uh, first and foremost. So we'll talk to him at one o'clock tomorrow uh, and one o'clock Eastern tomorrow. So until then, I'm Matt Napo for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great night and bye for now.
listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.